Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to a Raptors Reaction Podcast Classic. Uh, I'm your host, William Lou. I'm joined this week to revisit... Another loss, unfortunately, for the Raptors, but a very memorable one. Um, the game where Jeremy Lin, at the height of Linsanity, hits the game winner over Jose Calderon uh, at the uh, Air Canada Center, and the whole crowd goes wild. Well, maybe the half half of the crowd goes wild. Uh, this is on Valentine's Day. And, of course, uh, I'm joined by um, a fellow Asian to discuss this. Alex, how you doing? Wow, didn't even introduce me as the host of Stephen LeBron Radio. What's going on here? Well, I mean... Uh, First off, we should note that we are actually doing two um, classic reaction podcasts. Uh, one for this podcast, Raptors Over Everything, and another one for uh, the um, Stephen LeBron Radio podcast, uh, Alex. And what game are we going to be recapping on your show? So for this uh, Asian Zach Lowe, Bill Simmons podcast crossover, we will be doing the, the insanity game against the Lakers mm-hmm. when Kobe Bryant said he didn't know who Jeremy Lin was. Yeah, and Jeremy Lin put 38. This one was two games after that Laker game. So uh, the Knicks went to, no, they played at home to Minnesota. That was the Kevin Love, Ricky Rubio years. Um, and uh, they overcame Minnesota at the very end. And Jeremy had a bad shooting night, but they ultimately won. Uh, so to put some context here, okay, so the Raptors lose, um, 90 to 87, uh, on February 14th, 2012, uh, the Knicks at this time, this is the truncated season. So the Knicks were only 14 and 15 at the time. The Raptors somehow were already nine and 21, uh, incredible. Um, and you know, the Jeremy Lin story we told, you know, it's been told many times, but just to give a quick summary at this point, you know, the Knicks suffered an injury to Carmelo Anthony. They were already kind of losing at the time. They had high expectations. They were going to go to the playoffs. They really wanted to, like, make a deep run. Um, their point guard situation was pretty bad because they traded for Chauncey Billups the year before in that Melo deal that was orchestrated by Masai. Um, but uh, Chauncey moves on. They don't really have a point guard. Uh, guys get hurt. And Jeremy Lin, the third stringer out of the G League, or at the D League at the time, comes in. And becomes a star. They Jeremy ends up leading them to I think seven straight wins, and and really turns the season around for them. And this was um, towards the end of that, really, where you know the Knicks had already won five in a row. Uh, Jeremy Lin got Player of the Week honors the the week before this. He averaged twenty seven points per game in four wins, and coming to Toronto, um, you know, really, the Raptors should have won this game. Can we start there? Like. Um, <laughs> they should have won this game. Like, period. They outplayed the, the Knicks for, like, 40-plus minutes. They just choked, which is literally what all classic Raptor games are, basically. Yeah, and, you know, I think we'll get into it. But I only watched the first half of this game in real time mm-hmm. when it happened and because the Raptors were dominating the first half and Jeremy Lin wasn't really doing much and I had another obligation that I had to go to. So this was my first time over the weekend watching this entire game live and especially the second half. And number one, this was a trash game 
Um, like, I, I think I was expecting uh, some kind of classic, you know, really crazy run in the fourth quarter. But like you said, the the Raptors were leading the whole way. The mm-hmm. the Knicks were playing terrible. Clyde Frazier was calling their defense Swiss cheese in the third quarter, and they just blew it. Like Jeremy hit a huge shot, obviously at the end, but the Knicks had no business winning this game at all. Yep. Yep. Like none. Like it was bad. Like you know what? Actually, <sighs> so I'll give Dwayne Casey credit for this because he correctly identified that you need to shut down Jeremy Lin because pretty much without Carmelo on the team, the rest of the Knicks didn't really have that many playmakers. So uh, what the Raptors did was from the very start of the game, they trapped Jeremy Lin. They doubled the ball, basically gave him the Steph Curry treatment, which uh, honestly at the time, given how hot Jeremy Lin was, kind of made sense um, to, to treat him like Steph. But you got guys like Aaron Gray on the perimeter. You got guys like Amir Johnson on the perimeter. And the whole idea was just to trap Jeremy, get, let him get rid of the ball, and let the other guys make a play. And, you know, Amari, he was coming off, uh, I think he had missed a couple of games due to a death in the family, and he was rusty, and he wasn't really able to uh, score in the way that Amari normally could. He's a pretty good scorer. And then Tyson Chandler, whoever, he's not really going to put the ball on the floor. He's just going for layups. So it was working. It was working for most of the game. And, you know, uh, you know, Jeremy Lin had like five turnovers and nine points in the first half. Uh, Jeremy ends up having a career high in turnovers in that game, I think eight. And um, there's even plays where, like, again, Jose Calderon is just straight up clamping Jeremy Lin. <laughs> like, it was actually funny to watch. You and I watched this yesterday um, on, an, uh, on a, uh, <laughs> a, a live stream of the MSG Network somehow, because this is the only way to find old games. And you, we, you were asking me, like, how the hell does Jeremy Lin have 20 and 10 right now? Because it was, like, a super ugly game. And, you know... For that time, the Raptors really did defend really well, which is kind of why they hired Dwayne Casey was to sort of shore up the defense. Yeah, so this was the first season of Dwayne coaching for the Raptors. And a neat moment before the game too, right? Mm-hmm. He's presented with his championship ring uh, from Tyson Chandler because they were both on the Mavericks the year before, which is really cool. But yeah, we should talk about some of these Raptors, man. Mm-hmm. Um, like Jose Calderon had a monster game. And oh, like yeah. you were saying, the the last possession of the first half, Jeremy's going at him uh, with the shot clock running down, and Calderon just straight up blocks him. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, you know, I I did flashback to the time when the Spanish national team all pulled their Asian slanted <laughs> eyes and, and took the infamous photo. Uh, so I was getting increasingly uh, angry at, at Calderon as he uh-huh. was putting the clamps on Lynn. But um, man, just what a sad franchise at the time. Like, you know, on the broadcast with Breen and Clyde Frazier, hmm. they're talking about how the Raptors are averaging, first of all, 88 points a game um, <laughs> on the season. Holy like, sh- oh, my God. Like, 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 can someone, like, actually fact check this? Because I, I honestly did not believe that. And they were struggling on offense because they were without their leading score, Andrea Bargnani. Uh, I mean, wow. Yeah, this is, this is the thing. These classic reaction podcasts, originally I had high hopes for them, but I realized most of them are going to be a lot of losses. So uh, uh, um, the Raptors did marginally improve their offense uh, as the season went on. They finished the year averaging 90.7 points per game, which ranked oh, God. 28th in the NBA. So somehow there were actually two other teams worse than 90.7. Um, that sounds like a FM radio station. Um <laughs> Yeah, the oh man, uh, the 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 roster. I mean, yeah, Andre Bernani was a leading scorer. He only played half the season. 
Uh, he played in th- he 31 games. He averaged 19 points, and um, you know, I mean, it, it was Barnani, so I really feel like he was hurting the team despite averaging that many. But yeah, like as you mentioned, man, there's just not a lot of offense on this team. Like it was either him or Demar Derozan. Um, with Jose Calderon sort of pulling the strings, and Demar was just so so bad in this game that if honestly if Jose wasn't as good as he was in this game, uh, the Raptors have really no business even winning it themselves. Even though the defensively they played really well, it's just like offensively it was such a struggle. And Jose, I mean, I was pretty impressed with Jose because yeah, he was carrying this team. Like um, the game before this, he scores I believe a career high thirty points. Um, you know, against the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, that game, the Raptors lost, but Jose has 30. The Raptors are in the game late. Um, they're up four with under a minute left. Um, they're in uh, Toronto, and, uh, you know, Jack Armstrong is yelling on the broadcast, no threes, no threes. And, of course, Kobe immediately hits a three, so the, the Raptors are only <laughs> up one. Then Linus Claza tries to attack. Uh, on the baseline and force a shot. Like again, we're talking about end of the game, last minute of the game against the Lakers with Kobe on them. Klaza is the one they're going to. Uh, he gets stripped by Kobe because he's trying to force the ball, and then they go the other way, and uh, Kobe passes to Meta on the on trailing on the break. The, the, they go in the lead. Somehow the Raptors get the lead back, and um, you know seven seconds left. The Lakers have the ball. Of course, the inbound of Kobe, basically similar to the Kawhi play where Kobe dribbles to the right corner and then fades away. Uh, over James Johnson. Again, that's our guy. That's our go-to defender at the time was James Johnson. Um, and Kobe hits the game winner. And uh, and then on the ensuing possession, because the Raptors still have four seconds left with the inbound down one, and they bring in Rasul Butler, who fails to inbound the ball within five seconds. So, like, just again, you just got to think about the context of what's happening here. You're, 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 you're relying on Jose Caldwell to have 30 points to have a chance to win. You're relying on uh, Linus Claza to be your go-to scorer in crunch time. You're relying on James Johnson as your go-to defender and your most trusted inbounder. Remember last year, it was Mark freaking Gasol inbounding the ball. All right, now it's Rasul Butler instead, who's on the brink of retiring from the NBA, and he fails to inbound the ball within five seconds, which is just a cardinal sin, man. How do you commit a five-second violation when that happens? So, yeah, so... um, this is a tough time, and of course, this game was also very tough. But yeah, I mean, you know, Jose coming off the 30-point game was really, really good in this one as well. He has 25 points, 7 rebounds, 9 assists, 3 steals, a block, and like, he was really just... He was giving it to Jeremy, like, for most of the game. And he was outplaying Jeremy, and um, it, yeah, it was really just the rest of the guys around him couldn't score. Like, I was really shocked, for example, about DeMar DeRozan. To see how polished he is now versus what he did back then, which was just like put his head down, and then barrel to the basket, fall over, miss a layup, and then the other team goes in for a transition bucket because they're outnumbered. I'm like, how many times? It happened at least like five, six times. Yeah, watching this game really reaffirmed why at the time I kept telling people that Sonny Weems was going to be better Mm -hmm. than DeMar. Like, DeMar was just out of control. And it's funny, I mean, I texted you about this yesterday – to think about how Masai turned basically Andrea Bargnani and DeMar DeRozan into Kawhi Leonard is incredible. Yeah. Well. And we gotta yeah. we gotta talk about Leandro Barbosa too, man. He was nice <laughs> in this game. <laughs> See, this is the this is the thing with the old Raptors is you okay? <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's let's talk about the bench. So, your man Leandro Barbosa. Uh, watching this game. Because I just seen the box score just now before we started the podcast. Watching this game, it felt like Barbosa was 
like a lifeline for them because he could actually get a shot. But then when I'm looking at it now, Barbosa plays 31 minutes, shoots 5 of 13 from the field, 4 13 points. Um, still a little bit of that, you know, Brazilian blur. You know, he had a couple of plays where he was just isolated out top and just blow past people. Um, he still had that quickness. That first step was still elite. But yeah, he, this was not... This is by no means not a good uh, good, good year for Leandro. He ends up getting traded at the trade deadline, like maybe a week after this, um, to the Indiana Pacers for <laughs> a top 55 protected second round pick. <laughs> nah, man. What kind of protection <laughs> is that, man? Yo, the, I'm pretty sure they're trying to get another Roko Ukic with that uh, top 55 protected pick. But oh, yeah, what did God. you like from, uh, from Leandrino, the blur? Yeah, you know... I don't know. Like like you said, like he was showing flashes of what made him so special when he was part of those seven seconds or less Suns teams. And he just really stood out in the fourth quarter because in the fourth quarter when the Knicks were making their comeback, Jose Calderon like went scoreless in the entire quarter. And the whole Raptors team was just struggling to score. And I felt like he was creating things. And there was a huge turning point. Uh, my first TSN turning point wow. was with four minutes left when the Raptors were up 86 to 77. And keep in mind, the Raptors end up with 87 points. Mm. So from, from here on out, they make one Lennis Klaza free throw. <laughs> and that is that is the rest of their scoring. So they're up 86-77. And like we were saying, they have been basically leading the entire game. And the Knicks had made a couple of runs, but never really got close. And Barbosa gets this steal at half court, but he can't stay inbounds. So the ball mm-hmm. gets back to the Knicks. And that's when they start making their push. Um, and I felt like that was a possession where the Raptors lost the game. Because, you know, if, if Barbosa gets the ball and goes down and gets a layup, they go out double digits, mm-hmm. you know. You would think that would be enough, even though the Raptors offense just went silent the rest of the way. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, here's the thing, right? As as we described earlier, um, <clears throat> guys like Leandro Barbosa and Linus Klaza were counted on as the go-to options at the end of games. And this is partially why the Raptors were so... I mean, even before the playoff stuff, just like before they could even get to the playoffs, part of the reason they used to not get to the playoffs was because they used to always choke. The Raptors have an incredible history of choking in the in the in the regular season before obviously you know the we the north era happened and they started doing some of that in the playoffs but yeah like they just had i mean like the the Rudy Gay videos you know not this guy not this guy i don't know if that was this season but it was probably around this time because obviously Rudy came to Toronto um but yeah they just didn't have a guy who could execute down the stretch to give you buckets so even if they were in the lead chances were that they were going to blow it like um that Kobe 81 game, for example, obviously this is like maybe uh, five, six years before this game, uh, Jeremy Lin game took place, but um, same kind of deal. Raptors up like 20-something in the third quarter, and they can't hold it because they have nobody to go to. And yeah, as you mentioned, their, their offense gets ice cold. And part of the reason the offense went ice cold was because rookie Iman Shumpert came into the game and locked down Jose Coleman, like put the clamps to him. Like at one point, he stripped him in the open court and took it in for a layup, like that kind of like clamp so um when that happened basically the Raptors had no more offense and when you think about it how are you getting clamped by a rookie how's that like <laughs> like I don't I don't even understand this man like it's 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 unbelievable how bad this team was at this time or just like basically just the situation they were in you know and 
a guy like Leandro Barbosa, for example, for this team, um, you know, I remember watching this season and just thinking, like, why are they going to Leandro Barbosa all the time? First off, he was only on the team because they, I think they needed to shed um, Hito Turkoglu's contract. So they need to get something in return. So they got um, Barbosa. Um, and then it was clear that he wasn't the future of this team. Like, at least, like, the future of the team is DeMar DeRozan, Amir Johnson, maybe even James Johnson at the time. You know, th- those were kind of their prospects. So why wouldn't you try to funnel possessions towards them? But instead, they were really force-feeding Leandro Barbosa. And this is what I mean by that. Barbosa on that season for the Raptors, that 11-12 season, had a usage rate of 28%. To put that, Holy, into, that can, yo, come on, to put that into perspective, Pascal Siakam this year has a usage rate of 28%. They were giving him Pascal Siakam treatment in the offense, and we're talking about a guy who I was like, okay, you know what? At least if they're going to force feed him the ball and you're going to get some good stats, maybe you can trade him to a contender at the deadline and get something out of it because he's also an expiring contract. And like I mentioned, he was traded to the bases for a top 55 protected pick. <laughs> so they got nothing out of this. So anyway, this was a very sad year for the Raptors. But um, Leandro was a bright spot on the team. Linus Klaza, a little surprised by him too. Um, because I remember him just being really, really not effective as a Raptor. Um, and in this game, he was just like pure bricks when he first came into the game. He kept shooting with confidence. You said he was uh, Mario Hozonia tw- circa 2012. Um, I, I agreed with you wholeheartedly, but yeah, he was really good in this game. Say some nice things about Linus Klaza, please. Yeah, so Linus is a 2012 Mario Hozonia in uh, Minnesota Kevin Love's body, mm. basically. That, that's who he was. I, I don't know, man. Like, he's just like, the exact type of player that I remember watching. Like, he was just always looking for his own shot, uh, uh, wildly overconfident. And <laughs> yep. I, I'm, I'm kind of with you in that. I just didn't understand, and and maybe because now that you mentioned that it was close to the trade deadline, maybe they were trying to you know highlight guys like Barbosa and, and Klaza. But was Demar even on the court at the end of the game? He was, right? He was. Actually, he was because I remember he had this one crazy drive with like a minute left, which I, I didn't know what he was doing. Um, but yeah, like you know, why not just use it as a development season? And they mm-hmm. probably did later on in the year. But get some of these guys looks like even. Calderon too like I know he was a big part of some of those teams during the Chris Bosh era that made the playoffs but at that point if you're trying to turn the page too like maybe he takes less of a role too although I'm just remembering that Anthony Carter was the team's backup point guard in this game so I guess there was really nobody to turn the keys to like the Raptors went from Vince Carter to Anthony Carter and you know that's honestly this game was just really sad man especially the fourth quarter and talking about it with you now I'm just really sad like we got to just get to Lynn hitting the game winner yeah I mean okay we'll definitely talk about that but I I wanted to focus on Anthony Carter because there's you know I don't want to like overstate how much of a Raptor fan I am I'm sure there's been a lot of other people who have been huge Raptor fans. Um, but, you know, I remember so many of these games, and I watched so many of these games intently. I was in uh, university at the time, so all I would do is fire up illegal streams and watch these games in class. And, like, you know, um, yeah, it was maybe to the detriment of my social life that I watched so many of these games. Uh, and so what I'm saying this is because like I recognize so many random players. Like when Rasul Butler came in, I'm like, yeah, I know him. Or like Salah Malby or like Gary Forbes or whatever. I'm like, Jamal McGlorsey on the bench. Like, yeah, I was like, yeah, you know, these, these Raptors, my team. I know these guys. 
when Anthony Carter checked into the game, I was legitimately like, who the hell is this? All right, who, why is there a Foot Locker employee on the floor? <laughs> What's going on, man? Um, yeah, I didn't realize, like, he had such a short neck, and, like, he just came in, like, he's, like, the opposite of Terry Stotts, and, like, he just came in, and I just had no idea who he was. I had to really look it up, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. We had, um, we had Anthony Carter as a backup point guard, and I remember, like, you know, I think the third stringer this year might have been John Lucas the third. So, like, it wasn't even like you know, this was a case where, something like, Dwayne Casey overplayed him or something. Like, this is just the, the roster they had was... Oh, yeah, and Ben Uzo this year, of course. Um, but, yeah, like, they just... They had Anthony Carter. He came in, didn't really ever look at the basket. Um, it, it was kind of it was kind of sad. But, really, you know, the Raptors, despite us saying all these negative things, played a pretty good game by their standards in this game. Like, for example, defensively, they were pretty good. Like, holding the Knicks to only 90 points is pretty impressive. Like, it's still a Mike D'Antoni team, after all. They're still pretty good on offense. Um, and they had a great chance to win. But um, but they couldn't do it. Uh, let's let's talk about the final shot now, then. Because, obviously, this is the only thing that anyone ever remembers from this game. Uh, to, so, to set it up, as you mentioned, you know, the Raptors were up 9 with 4 minutes left. Actually, the Raptors had a 17-point lead at one point in this game. So, really, they should have held this game. Um, but it, it's tie game, 87-87. The Knicks have the ball. Uh, with like 35 seconds left. Iman Shumpert, um, they trap Jeremy Lin. The ball swings over the Shumpert. Shumpert drives in and gets a wide-open jumper, but he bricks it. Chandler, you know, at the time, he's very famous about just like the tap-out rebound. He's very, very good at that. But he tipped it back out, uh, and then now the clock is dead. You know, the, the Knicks have it. The shot clock's turned off. 87 all. Jeremy Lin looks over at Mike D'Antoni, who says, yo, I'm not going to call timeout. Just just, just go ISO and, and score and get, get the game winner. I think he went ISO first off because uh, the Raptors were doubling him. So if they wanted Jeremy Lin to... If Jeremy Lin wanted to get a shot off, he probably shouldn't get a screen. He'd try to just attack. And yeah, I mean, you know, he winds the clock down with under three seconds left. About 2.5. Jeremy Lin sees that Jose Calderon is still backpedaling. Which I don't understand for the life of me. He like like what I mean by this is that like Jose Calderon has maybe a foot. He has one foot that's one foot above the free throw line. So he's so far back already. And I'm like, there's only two seconds left in the game. He's not driving. He's pulling up and this game's either you're either losing or you're going to overtime. But you should not be that far back on him. And yeah, Jeremy Lin sees this and he basically has a wide open shot and he pulls up for three, he hits it. Uh Mike Breen yells bang and yeah, that's that's the game winner. I mean, um, what were your emotions watching this back? And uh, um, just be honest, like who are you? Who were you rooting for? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think at the time, if you were Asian, you're definitely rooting for the Knicks and Jeremy Lin to get the win. I mean, the shot was incredible. And yeah, I think we'll talk a little bit later on about Calderon because his defense on that play is probably going to cost him the first star of this game, or at least we might have to have a debate about it. And it was just really cool because there's that one angle from, you know, shot from where behind Jeremy was, where you can see the crowd behind the basket. Mm -hmm. And when that basket goes in, you can see all the fans and like they were all Asian behind the basket in that section just being absolutely delirious and you know the cheer that jeremy got that day mm-hmm. uh was like a k-pop cheer oh like, yeah you could hear it was just a different 
type of cheer. It was like uh, something that you would hear at like a pop star concert because there was just so many Asians in there. And Mm -hmm. I was pulling up the the some of the game notes from the game, and uh, ESPN had mentioned that the Raptors put a photo of Lin on their website uh, hours before the game. (laughs) Just to like, yo, honestly, using Jeremy Lin as clickbait. I respect it. Yeah, um, We're doing it and, right now in 2020. <laughs> I can't judge them for this. <laughs> and, and the CCYA and the Taiwanese Canadian Association both sent over 300 fans to the game. And it was only the second sellout uh, for the Raptors in 13 home games um, on the season to that point. And also there were 75 reporters there mm-hmm. just at uh, – the morning practice to hear Lin talk and more than 25 Chinese Canadian journalists covered the game, which would have just been incredible if we were there to see that. Oh yeah. And my favorite tidbit is that one of the Chinese journalists, uh, according to ESPN presented Lin with a book of year of the dragon stamps from Canada post (laughs) and asked him to record a message in Mandarin, which he did. And it just made me feel bad for Jeremy because this is really what he was dealing with at the time, right? Especially probably in in New York with, Mm. with, with all the Chinese media that was there. So, you know, it was cool. Uh, I think, I think Jeremy in a lot of ways was just like exhausted, um, you know, during this stretch because he obviously had never played this much uh, at the NBA level. And you could tell that he was coming off that eight for 24 game in Minnesota and he was really struggling in this game, but you know, he he had the ball in his hands at the end and he made the shot, um, which was amazing. But we also have to talk about how on the next possession. So the Raptors are down three Uh and they have like 0.05 seconds left. And Sue Butler, uh, RIP by the way, (laughs) passed away in a a accident a few years ago. So rest in peace. Mm -hmm. But in the context of this, it's, um, it's hilarious because he hasn't he he doesn't play a minute in this game just like in the Lakers game the one before and he's the one that ends up chucking this desperation shot at the buzzer it's a brick and mm-hmm. the Raptors lose so you're telling me Rasul Butler probably in the box score is recorded as playing zero minutes in back to back games and is responsible for the final possession on both uh yeah actually I'm looking at this exact box score right now uh, Rasul Butler is credited for one second of play he has obviously the one three pointer attempts he has. Yeah, I mean, um, again, I don't, I don't know what Dwayne Casey's thinking because he did do some good things defensively, but offensively, it seemed like this guy had no clue. First off, this would just be common sense, okay? I don't care if it's Ray Allen on the bench, if it's Steph Curry on the bench, if he hasn't played the whole entire game and there's 0.5 seconds left, you cannot be inbounding to this man <laughs> hoping that he ties the game. Like, I, I don't understand. And to throw in the fact that Russell Butler was a, you know, like a good, three-point shooter like he was probably like a maybe a Mo Pete level three-point shooter maybe that's being even generous because Mo Pete was a pretty good three-point shooter like it, it wasn't like you know it wasn't even like the Raptors had um a guy like that off the bench first up who they I mean you know Jose it might be a better option here um I mean even Linus Clays I would have preferred because he was at least in the game but yeah as you mentioned man this is dire times for the Raptors and uh it, it, it was just honestly questionable decision making from Dwayne Casey where you know, he was really trying to establish himself at this point. You know, this he had finally gotten hired. Um, he obviously, you know, as you re- you've written about before, um, Dwayne's you know had a very um, you know up and down career. Take, took a very long winding road to finally get to the NBA. Was definitely one of the most uh, heralded assistant coaches. Obviously, he got a lot of credit for designing that defense for the Mavericks in 2011 that beat the Heat. And 
um, you know, he was really trying to make a name for himself. And, you know, uh, seeing him get the ring, you know, before the game was actually really interesting to me because the only other time I've actually seen Dwayne Casey wear that ring was after game four against the Washington Wizards in 2015, which in, in which the Raptors lost uh, to in, in the sweep by a score of 125 to 94 after game four against the, the Wizards. And Dwayne Casey at the postgame interview was wearing the Mavericks ring. Like very prominently too, like he put it on his hands and he put his hands on top of the table right in front of the microphone so everyone can see the ring. And two things: one, <laughs> what the hell does that 2011 Mavericks <laughs> title have anything to do with this game four loss to the Wizards where you got swept? And two, why did he have it on hand already? Because they were all, this is only game four. This wasn't like the season-ending press conference where you know afterwards they come back to Toronto, they reconvene, they get all the reporters together, and they ask him, and you can really prepare for your appearance. So you're telling me Dwayne Casey has so little confidence in his team that he brought this ring because he knew they were going to lose, so that he could put this on as a shield somehow after the game. I, I don't understand it, but it's those are the only two times I've seen the Mavericks ring, and um, yeah, wow. I think, um, well, first of all, bringing your 2011 championship ring when your team's getting swept on the road is like the opposite of like Michael Jordan packing one suit <laughs> against the Phoenix Suns in 93. Um, I think that's just insecure Dwayne. Um, I'm pretty sure he was just trying to send a message to Masai or remind people that, hey, we just lost to Randy Whitman holding the whiteboard upside down. But, mm. you know, I am an NBA champion and you shouldn't fire me. And Masai listened. This is yeah. This is uh, it's unbelievable. I, I thought for sure they were gonna let him go after this year, but um, yeah. Wow. Um, okay, back to this game. Uh, this really really depressing game. Um, you know, let, let, we're gonna get to sort of uh, the significance of Jeremy Lin and you know your personal experience watching this game and sort of just how we feel about it even now afterward. Um, but uh, let's get to the three stars first off for the Raptors. Okay, so you said Jose Caldwell is not the first star for you, or it's a debate for you? Because he should be I the feel first like star. He should be the first star based on what he did in the game, but he also got a game winner in his eye, though. And he also made that Asian slant eye uh, photo with the Spanish national team. So, Will, I'm, I'm going to leave it up to you, man. Okay, well, all right, you're definitely setting me up on that. Um, <clears throat> well, listen, um, you know, I love the Raptors first and foremost. <laughs> How many statements do you have? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, look. All right, th- there's no other option. Objectively, objectively for this basketball game, mm-hmm. Jose Calderon's the first star. Yeah, here's the thing: twenty-five points, seven rebounds, nine assists, three steals, a block in thirty-nine minutes of play. He shoots eleven of seventeen from the field, three of five from three, including what may be the KFC bucket of the game, um, where. Uh, the, the shot clock's running down. The ball swung to him. Jose doesn't realize that at first. Sees the shot clock. Throws up a prayer from 30 feet, and it goes in. And he's smiling. He flashes the numero, uh, numero tres, like just the number threes on his hands and everything. And, you know, Herbie Coons obviously uh, speaking Spanish, of course, at this point. And, yeah, like, he was the only reason the Raptors, you know, offensively were in a position to win this game. So it's unfortunate defensively that, uh, you know, Jeremy just – you know, put the dagger in his eye, and of course, Jose didn't really play any defense at all in that play. But um, I mean, hell, this is this is 2011-12 Raptors, man. This is as good as you get. So he he gets the first star. Second star, I might have to give this to Linus Klaza. 
Oh my god. Oh, uh, yeah, that's tough. I, I, yeah, I guess that it's going to be Kleza and Barbosa, right? I'm probably the third star. I, I may choose Amir Johnson just because he had ten points, four rebounds, oh, two assists, five blocks, including one play where he blocks Amari twice at the rim, back to back within like three seconds. It was kind of rem- reminiscent of the uh, <clears throat> the 1996 Chicago Bulls picking on uh, Patrick Ewing. Holy shit. I'm suddenly an expert in the 90s now because I watched (laughs) six episodes of the Jordan doc on illegal streams. Yeah, are you bleeding in your Jordan 1s right now or what's going on? Um, Yeah, I still got to paint that. But um, (laughs) yeah, like this is... I mean, okay, so to to, to Luna's Clay's credit, I'm not really trying to gas him up, but he was good in this one. 15 points, 11 rebounds, 3 assists, 2 steals. Um, He missed a bunch of free throws, which was odd. Because uh, he was a pretty good free throw shooter, but this was a good Linus Glazer game for sure. And, you know, he was making key buckets in the third quarter to give the Raptors a lead. Some big second chance rebounds, so um, he gets a third star. And then, yeah, Barbosa, 13 points, or Amir Johnson, 10 points for five blocks. You take your pick. Yeah, no, we can go with Amir. Can I go back to Jose Calderon for, for one more second? Mm, okay. So... Um, I'm just on. I just pulled up an old article of Jose Calderon addressing his uh, uh, the Spanish men's basketball team's <laughs> slanted eye photos. So he was asked about this actually by Martin Rogers of Yahoo Sports. Oh wow! Shut up. And this is what Jose Calderon said: We did it because we thought it was going to be something nice, mm. something with no problem. What? But somebody wants to talk about it. It's too much of a big deal with you guys. He's Ooh. referencing the media wow. and everyone talking about it. So that's all I'm saying, man. I guess okay. he's right. still the first star in your eyes, William. Wow. Um, and I just want to add, Paul Gasol added, some of us didn't feel comfortable doing it just because, to me, it was a little clownish on our part for doing that. But the sponsors insisted. I think it is just a bad idea, I guess, to do that. But it was never intended to be racist against anybody. So there we go. Jose Calderon, your first star. Wow. All right. Well, I mean, <clears throat> I can't do this on a Jeremy Lin pod. So, yeah, I mean, Jose Calderon getting the uh, Patrick Patterson Award now. Never mind. That's that's unfortunate, man. And look, listen, I love Marcus Gasol, but he's in that photo too. <laughs> yeah, I've, uh, I've selectively left him out of this narrative. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I do believe Powell when he says he didn't intend it to be offensive, but like once you're told it's offensive, I don't think I don't think Jose Calderon's response should be it's not that big of a deal. Like, and Jose's such a nice guy. Like, I would expect him to be, be a little bit more contrite about it. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know. It, it is what it is, man. Uh, that's unfortunate. Wow, damn. Um, I guess he's still the first star, but only strictly speaking of basketball. Uh, I see where you stand, but go on. The Gerald Henderson Award for the surprising player on the other team that uh, randomly lit up the Raptors. Is it is it Jeremy? Because it feels rude to give it to Jeremy because he's their best player, but is it Jeremy? Because there's no one else on the team that played well. Yeah, no, I was looking at the box score. You know, Amari came up pretty big in the fourth quarter at least, but... Mm. I think in that context, you you do have to give it to Jeremy. Like even though he was doing this on a nightly basis at the time, like it was still a really brief run, right? Like oh, yeah. when Sanity was it's like, like two a weeks. Six, yeah, it's like a two week run, and 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 it's wild because I was looking at Jeremy's career. Like he only played thirty five total games with the Knicks, like ever, and it's become this thing. Obviously, that's been immortalized, and it should be because of. 
just the impact and the influence. But yeah, I'm with you. I think I think Jeremy should get it. Yeah. No love for a uh, Billy Walker. That, <laughs> yeah. Come on, man. Billy Walker sounds like a, a St. St. Louis Cardinals first baseman that comes in to only hit uh, <laughs> to pinch hit against left-handed pitchers. Like, yeah, no, he he pinch runs for Mark McGuire in the eighth inning. <laughs> yeah, like what? The, who the hell is Billy Walker? Uh, again, another guy who, despite my uh, you know avid fandom. Um, you know, I did not recognize and did not remember. I, remember, I think he was briefly on the Heat, but uh, yeah, I mean, I also looked it up now. Apparently, he changed his name to Henry in 2014, so he's no longer Bill Walker. He's Henry Walker, which again still sounds like a St. Louis Cardinals first baseman. Like, <laughs> yeah, why is every fact on this podcast so sad about this game? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, hey, listen, Mike Bibby played two minutes in this game. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely don't remember that. Also, before you get to your other award, uh-huh. have you? Do you know about the Anthony Carter story of the time that his agent failed to exercise his player option? It sounds familiar, but tell it, tell it. What's the story? Yeah, so so I think this was like 2004 season, mm-hmm. and the Heat were trying to go after certain guys in free agency, but they were over the cap, and they were just assuming that Carter, who I think averaged. Here, I'm looking at this article. He averaged 4.1 points and 4.1 assists the year before. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't like a huge contributor. And he had a $4 million player option. And his agent, Bill Duffy, just forgot to fax it in. Wow. So the player option just expired. And suddenly the $4 million opened the room up for Pat Riley to go and get free agents. And that was the summer that they got Lamar Odom. And I think traded for... Karam Butler, I can't really remember, but like because of mm, right, the right. fact that he his agent didn't fax it in, the Heat ended up being able to get free agents, which is hilarious. And then didn't it flip Lamar Odom for uh, Shaq? So yeah, like, they did. So Anthony Carter set off the chain of events for the Heat to pair Shaq with Dwayne Wade to win the championship. Yeah, that's a, that's incredible. And of course, Lamar ends up winning, becoming a, a legendary Laker as well. So. Wow, what a story, man. Shout out Bill Duffy, I guess, for, for doing that. I mean, definitely one shout of the out, big... <laughs> shout out Bill Duffy and also, like, just, let's just not do faxes anymore, man. Like, I get yeah. it was 2004, but, like, man. Well, I mean, listen, any uh, any any uh, football fan listening to this would, would, would remember that there is a very f- infamous failed transfer that was supposed to go down between uh, United and Real Madrid that was, like, well, how long, when was it now? Maybe two, three years ago? Involving, oh, was like, it, a star was player. It Ka- was it Cafu? It was the, no, it's not Cafu, man. What's wrong with you? <laughs> anyway, those were the star players supposed to be transferred. Apparently, there was a fax machine issue, so they couldn't get it done before the deadline. It's, uh, it was like, you know, maybe not on like 100 million, but maybe like 50 million pound kind of transfer, and it just didn't go through um, because of a fax. But of course, that was way worse because it was like 2017 as compared to like 2004. But I, to be honest, I didn't know people were still using faxes like that, but um, hey, man, do you? Uh, okay. So the uh, the Patrick Patterson Award for the guy who didn't show up, I mean, uh, to me, this is pretty obvious. I think it has to be DeMar. Um, now, if you look at DeMar's numbers, you're like, well, he didn't have that bad of a game. He has 14 points in 5 of 12 shooting. That's not that inefficient. He goes to the free throw line four times. But I'm telling you, when you watch this game, it looks a little bit like DeMar doesn't have any idea what he's doing on any possession. Because he just has no game plan. He's barreling to the basket. He commits six turnovers for a guy who doesn't have the ball much. Um, and yeah, it was like at least two of those were charges and it, it was just really jarring to see how polished he is now versus, um, how 
just inexperienced he was back then because he was just again like was not a very good player at this point oh definitely i think damar is the obvious choice he and like you said it really gives you an appreciation of how hard he worked on his craft mm-hmm. year to year to become the player that he was. He did not look like an NBA player on the floor. Like you could have told someone that this guy was just signed to a 10 day contract, mm-hmm. and I would have believed you. Yo, this was, yeah. I mean, I didn't want to say this was an Allen Anderson performance because I think Allen Anderson would have been more composed than this. Like it was, it was bad. I don't want to say it was a playoff DeMar kind of performance, but in, in a certain way, like it had that kind of stubbornness. That kind of just like forcing things that weren't there, and you know some of these elements were just was, were just tough. I mean, Demar was like in his second or third year at this point, so I mean it's totally normal that he was inexperienced, and he came into the league as a nineteen year old, so whatever. But yeah, it was not a great game for Demar. So let's circle back to um, the significance of Linsan and things like that. Um, you know, for I, I mean f- for you, e- even watching it back now, like. You get the hype, right? Like, you see the excitement. Like, you see how big of a deal it was. This was, like, when we say this is, like, the biggest deal in sports for that month, um, it's true. It really is true. Like, it, it's the, the amount of hype surrounding it was crazy. Like, I was watching game, uh, I was watching episode five of the MJ doc yesterday, and they were showing, like, just MJ's lifestyle, and, you know, he's swarmed by um, all these reporters. He can't really go anywhere. He's playing like flip a coin with security guards like uh, it's unbelievable i wonder if Kawhi ever played flip a coin with zo um <laughs> well, how did zo make it into a classic reaction part you know zo was probably at this game man um but yeah like you know it's it's it reminded me a little bit of that for jeremy like i'm, I'm okay obviously jeremy and michael jordan are entirely different things but I'm telling you, for that like two week period, he was basically getting Michael Jordan type treatment media wise. As you mentioned, there were like 70 media people at the game. Yeah. Well, first of all, I think it's hilarious that after you watch the Last Dance, you're gonna compare every single thing to the nine things that you know about Michael Jordan now, which uh, I'm really looking forward to. But yeah, I, I mean, I don't know how it was for you. I think you had mentioned that you were in university at the time. Uh-huh. Um, like. Man, I remember just like every single Knicks game. First of all, they moved all the broadcasts, so I think they were showing all the games on NBA TV mm-hmm. or making sure that it was going to be available. And I remember he played like the Wizards on like a Monday night, and it would be like a Super Bowl. Like I would plan my entire day around it, you know, mm-hmm. get like a special order of food yeah. from, uh, I guess I should mention places because of your sponsors. Um, and it was just every night was an event and it was one of those things where you just kept waiting for it to end mm-hmm. because it wasn't like like i think part of us all knew that this was not going to be something like he wasn't going to average like 27 points per game forever but when he starts showing up on time magazine and on back-to-back sports illustrated covers mm-hmm. and he becomes the only thing and like you know, there's rumors of him like dating Kim Kardashian. Okay. Like these are these are things that were just unheard of for uh, an Asian athlete, right? Mm. And, and he, like, it was he was the biggest story in the world. Like, yeah. just think about yeah, he that. was. Like he was the biggest story in the world, and it was just amazing to see him like just keep doing it game to game. Mm-hmm. Like the Lakers game, which we're, we're going to tackle at some point, like that was incredible. Mm-hmm. And this game winner here, even though the game was terrible, it just kept adding to the mythology. It, it, honestly, it was just a surreal experience watching him. And you know, as 
uh, you know, both of us are Asian, obviously. Like it was just, it was just such a proud moment to see someone like mm -hmm. him on that stage, and probably even prouder now because listening to his recent interviews now and seeing how Jeremy has matured, like with his recent article that he wrote about COVID-19 in the Players Tribune mm -hmm. and he did a podcast last week with Howard Beck talk, just talking about how tough it was for him during Linsanity because everybody wanted something from him like yeah. like everybody was trying to get a piece of him I remember there were so many unauthorized books that were published and pushed out I'm honestly surprised I didn't write one I guess I wasn't in writing at the time because yeah. um, I definitely would have put one out like three days after um, he beat the Lakers but it, it like it's just cool for him, honestly, to have that perspective now because for the longest time, he just didn't want to be only associated with Linsanity. Like, mm -hmm. um, I remember a quick story like when um, I was covering uh, the Nets in New York and Jeremy had signed with the Nets a few years after Linsanity. Uh, I had requested an interview with him and the PR person specifically told me, like, don't mention the word Linsanity or ask about it at all because mm. he doesn't want to talk about any of it. So it's cool that he's reached a point now where he's willing to really embrace it and revisit it. And mm. anytime these highlights come on, man, like, I don't know how many times you've gone on YouTube uh, or anywhere else to like watch the highlights <laughs> against the Lakers like that corner three still gives me chills uh, and, and this game winner still gives me chills like I could go on forever like it was incredible yeah and I, I know it sounds I think you know it's one of those things where you had had to be there to um, truly experience it as well because in retrospect we're like talking about a guy who had the best two weeks of his life and um it, you know, we should be able to put that into context. But the, I think the context is correct here. Like, he was that big of a deal. Like, first up, uh, I make this point all the time, but if you go up to the average person in the, I don't know, North American Spear or maybe in in Europe or whatever, and you ask them, like, hey, name five Asian people, like, literally, Jeremy Lin will be one of the five Asian people. To, and, and honestly, I think a lot of people probably couldn't get to five. Um, and if you are one of those people, this doesn't apply to you, so don't be offended. But I just mean that, like, literally the average person probably can't name beyond, like, Jackie Chan, Jet Li, Yao Ming, and Jeremy Lin. Like, literally, Jeremy Lin is going to be in that top five. So he was that big of a deal at the time. And, you know, um, there was a certain sense of, sense of pride, you know, for me. Um, you know, when I was watching this game, for example, I obviously, at the time, I'm, I'm a huge Raptor fan. I'm watching it even though they're playing Linus Clays of 40 minutes. Um, and I'm, I'm cheering my heart out for them. But at the same time, when he hit it, I have very conflicted emotions because obviously I'm, I'm so pissed that the Raptors gave up this game. They just given up a game to the Lakers before this. So I'm like, we need these games. Um, uh, and, 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 but at the same time, like seeing what Jeremy did, like I was very proud, you know, as, as an Asian person, I was very proud because again, there's just not that much visibility, um, for Asians, especially not back in 2012. And it, to see Jeremy, what he was doing, like he really was carrying the expectations of, I don't know, man. When you when you when you total up like East Asia and uh, you know Southeast Asia, and you put it all together, like there's probably like two billion Asian people. And like, I'm not saying all two billion people are watching Jeremy Lin that intently because people got other things to do other than watching New York Knicks basketball. But like, it was that that was the scale of expectations put onto Jeremy, and, and for him, like, I could see why he would want to focus on his basketball because it, to think about that responsibility and that kind of representation on that kind of scale at the time when he was probably like what a 23 year old trying to make it into the NBA who was sleeping on Landry Fields's couch like 
Yeah, you probably can't take in the gravity of the thing. But I, I really appreciate, I, you know, as you said, like the fact that Jeremy has matured um, his career, his NBA career has, has probably passed him by already. But he's really taken that time to go back and really um, take on that responsibility. I, I think, especially um, as one of those important figures. Again, obviously, he's not that that noteworthy anymore based on his career, but. To me, he's still incredibly noteworthy because he's very conscious about his place in the world. He's very conscious about um, him being, um, you know, Taiwanese American and, you know, all the sort of um, struggles that comes with that. And it's it's just such a hard position for him to be in. And he does it with grace and he does it uh, willingly now and he takes on the responsibility. So uh, I have so much respect for Jeremy. And, you know, that's why I was so excited when the Raptors signed Jeremy Lin last year. Like, it was incredible that they just like, holy shit. Jeremy Lin's going to be on the Raptors. Like, for me, it wasn't even necessarily about the basketball. Obviously, the Raptors had just traded the line right, so they needed a point guard. But at the same time, I'm just like, I've always wanted to see one of my favorite players uh, who represents so much uh, to play on my favorite team. And I'm so happy that he won the ring. Like, I don't care that he struggled so much. I don't care that he wasn't a factor in the playoffs. It's still significant to me. And when I see those pictures of him wearing a Toronto Raptors jersey holding the championship, I'm like, this is literally a picture of everything I've ever wanted out of basketball and it happened yeah and you know um people should check out a new york times feature by alex wong uh, about why jeremy lynn winning the championship means everything to asians and and, yo, i was joking when the raptors picked up jeremy that i was more excited about that than when the raptors traded for Kawhi. and you know i I was probably only half joking like Mm. like you probably relate to me like just on a personal level yeah yeah, yeah. knowing that he was going to be part of the team was just so incredible and professionally uh local radio stations finally acknowledged me and and needed an asian to talk about (laughs) jeremy lid so i was able to rack up some checks for a great three-day period well Um, uh, we should should throw in the spot the the caveat that uh, i i had picked that exact moment to um go out of the country i i was going to uh bogota and so, literally, I was at the airport when the trade broke, and so I wasn't able to write and react to it because I was in a different country, and this created a great opportunity for the number two Asian in Toronto basketball. The number two, the number two Raptors personality. Um, Holy shit! It's it's funny because the Lin thing reminds me the most of like the biggest comparison I have is. Mm-hmm. To the Freestyle Fridays that MC Jin had yeah. when he had that incredible run. And it was super cool because Jin came to a Raptors game last year wearing a Lynn jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually the game where, uh, was it Jeremy Lamb hit the game winner? Oh my God. <laughs> From half court. Which one? Because yeah. he did it twice. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, one of those. And um, yeah, I had a chance to talk to Jin um, after the game backstage, and he was so excited to know that Lynn was going to be on a championship team, mm-hmm. um, you know, a team that was going to contend. And it's just cool to see because that just really illustrates, like, it's not just people like us. Like, you look at just, like, celebrities or people mm-hmm. in pop culture. Like you mentioned, like, Jeremy Lynn became, like, an access point for a lot of those people yep. to get into basketball. Mm-hmm. Like, there are a lot of Asian basketball fans who are Jeremy Lynn fans and not NBA fans, and that is honestly a super cool thing. And I'm going to save the rest of my thoughts for my own podcast. Wow, okay. Yeah, well, you can definitely hear uh, us react to the uh, Knicks-Laker game. Again, the game where Jeremy Lane puts 38 on Derek Fisher uh, to beat the Lakers. Um, 
but yeah, look, look, listen. I know again. To, if you weren't Asian and you, if you if you weren't there to see it, it sounds ridiculous in retrospect. But it, it seriously was that important, um, you know, in terms of his career. And look, listen, like sports is culture. Like basketball specifically is very culturally relevant, and and for anybody to even get that kind of spotlight um, is is incredible. And it was very important. And Jeremy's always carried it with praise, grace. So. Uh, shout out Jeremy Lin. I just wanted to um, <clears throat> throw in some context here from real published, quoted articles in places like the, the, the LA Times and CBC um, in terms of fans talking about this game. Quote, Lin is smart. He plays smart, says Yen. Quote, he knows when to do the right thing, like Steve Nash. Think of him like a younger Steve Nash. When I see him play, he reminds me of Steve Nash. <laughs> this is a real Wait, quote. Wait, who said this? <laughs> uh, this is quoted in like this, uh, like CBC. I think this guy was one of the um, the, the the leaders of one of the Toronto like uh, Taiwanese clubs or something here in Toronto. So um, wow. yeah, he was quoted with saying that. And then another one in the LA Times that I found, uh, <clears throat> people were obviously circling around and they got their whole families together to watch basketball. Uh, and this group of Taiwanese Americans and Chinese friends who got together were chanting SAT SAT um, at the TV <laughs> while Jeremy Lin played. Which honestly, I could totally see it. <laughs> Oh man, I could totally see it. And then, of course, you know, in this game in particular, the the signs that people had for this game were just amazing. Like, um, someone wrote to Linfan to Linsanity or Linfinity and Beyond with uh, Jeremy, you know, superimposed on Buzz Lightyear. Um, Jeremy Lin on a Photoshop version of the Two K Thirteen cover, uh, and you know, Be My Valentine, like all the puns. Like, uh, yeah, there were a lot of great signs and stuff like that. Yeah, so. I do have some just random notes from watching the game that mm. you might enjoy. The okay. listeners might enjoy. So the one thing, so anybody, if you can find the MSG network feed for this game, I highly recommend watching it just because honestly, the Knicks are kind of spoiled, even though they're a trash team now of having Mike Breen and Clyde Frazier. Like they're a great duo to, yep. to listen to on the broadcast. And honestly, I hope the Knicks get good again. If only so then they can actually call good games again. So Jeremy says, uh, he was asked during the morning practice that day what his favorite uh, Lin pun was, and he went with Super Nintendo because um, because he played Super Nintendo growing up, which yep. I was just cringing. Uh, but number you two, know what? You, you were cringing because this was so on point and spot on for like uh, an Asian American because you knew someone who was not Jeremy Lin. Maybe you knew like a friend, or maybe even you yourself would have given that exact answer. You know what I mean? That hit the perfect spot of just like. He's definitely one of us. You know, as an Asian American, like no. you're probably playing Super Nintendo. Like <laughs> I don't know, man. That's No, I've you know what? I've been playing a lot of Super Nintendo during this quarantine. So okay. you're exactly right. Mm. Um the other thing, the hologram sign that was on the baseline, amazing. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, by the <laughs> way, <laughs> now that we're on the point of broadcast, it was so corny. After every single opposing team would come to Toronto, they would, because the Raptors are getting blown up by 20, so they had the banter. And they'd be like, look at that 3D sign over there. I'm always worried about players tripping over it. And I'm just like, bro, do you think you're the first person to tell this joke? Like, literally 29 other teams come to Toronto and tell this shit. So, yeah, definitely Mike Breen and uh, Clyde Frazier went for that joke. Uh, in the first quarter, Mike Breen uh, talks about Jeremy Lin and says that he's humble. He's not putting guns in the holster when he makes a three, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> Mike Breen just pushing the model minority myth on everyone. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, 
just amazing. Um, and, and then Mike Breen, um, I guess Jared Jeffries was the Patrick Patterson of the Knicks because Mike oh, Breen yeah. was really pushing the Jared Jeffries propaganda throughout. You know, at one point in the in the first quarter, out of nowhere, he's just like, Jared Jeffries has become one of the best help defenders in the league. Um, <laughs> and I'm not sure what prompted that. And then in a random third quarter possession, Breen just goes, look at how Jeffries just showed and recovered. And... Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they shared the same agent, but there was a lot of propaganda going on. Yeah, that was that was definitely some Patrick Patterson propaganda because he was making a lot of plays that don't go in the box score uh, while getting eight points and five rebounds. So, um, and fun fact about this game: well, Nav Batia is courtside as usual, but he's wearing a full suit. Like, did he have a meeting at the dealership before? Or was that just what he wore back then? Um, well, as opposed to what he wears now. Which he, he looks exactly like all love to Nav, but he looks exactly like that uh, meme of how do you do, fellow kids? Oh, yeah. Because like, now he wears like jerseys and sneakers. No, you're 60 years old. He's wearing a bomber jacket with like skin tight jeans and like gl- glitter on his Raptor shoes. And I'm like, yo, this is swag. But at the same time, like, you're 60. Like, wow, I can't imagine my dad wearing that. Yeah, love to see my own future. Wow, okay. Um, in, the, in the third quarter, um, they really talk up that Mike D'Antoni can't sit down and he's just standing up for most of the game because he's coaching through back spasms. Mm. So shout outs to Mike D'Antoni. And honestly, in the context of insanity, I honestly have to give D'Antoni a lot of credit for just rolling with Lynn the way that he did. I know yeah. he had no choice, but maybe another coach doesn't dust him off the bench in that game against the Nets, mm-hmm. which really started the whole insanity thing. Um, shout outs to, uh, there's a segment, the KFC bucket chart. Yep. Uh, on the MSG network, so mm-hmm. uh, further proof that KFC is the official food of basketball. That's right. That's um, right. Yeah, and lastly, when Aaron Gray and Tyson Chandler get into a uh, a tussle at some point in the third quarter, Clyde Frazier out of nowhere just goes, "Gray and Chandler are kung fu fighting." <laughs> um, so, <laughs> I don't know if <laughs> I mean I'm probably just really sensitive, um, but I was just like, okay, <laughs> like. Is this because it was Linsanity, or what's going on? Yo, that's amazing. It probably was. Let's be real. It probably was. Like, this is... um, Yeah. Yeah, Honestly, you know, a weird game for Mike Breen. You know, he does call... He he uses the bang call for Jeremy Lee when he hits the three, which is great. Um, And it's Mike Breen, so definitely one of the best play-by-play guys in the NBA, if not the very best. But, yeah, at the same time, he, he definitely had some corny lines in this one. Um, I always like to watch Knicks games partially because of Clyde as well. He always uses like very, uh, you know, just uh, he's he's like a thesaurus out there, you know. So he says pugnacious. He go, he goes the phrase. Uh, I think after that fight, he says make love, not war. <laughs> Which I'm just like, yo, that's that, that's great. Let's just, just drop that in there. Make love, not war. Yeah. Uh, uh- but the Raptors had like nine turnovers in the fourth, and at one point he's just like, "Oh, they're fumbling and bumbling." Yep, like it's yep. great. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Like it really is. Like, oh, why am I hearing Doctor Seuss call my basketball game? <laughs> Isolate and devastate. You know, honestly, they're the only silver lining about the Knicks right now. Uh, yeah. I, honestly, that's the only reason to watch. Like, I, I, I'm rooting for RJ Barrett. I want him to make it. Um, but at the same time, like, yeah, like. There is not a good reason to watch that team. Like they're gassing up like Frank uh, Natilakina, and I'm like, wow, okay, cool. Um, wow, the I, next uh, Rodrigue Babois, who also got a <laughs> shout out in the pregame yeah. of, of this broadcast. Yeah, we should actually say that for a second because <laughs> they were asking before the game. They interviewed um, Dwayne Casey. Dwayne's like, oh, I knew about Jamie Lynn in 2010 because he 
was uh, one of the Mavericks coaches on the Summer League team. And Jeremy Lin actually played for the Mavericks 2010 Summer League team. And Dwayne Casey's uh, compliment was, Lin was so good, he outplayed Rodrigue Bobois. <laughs> which meant a lot back then. I guess in 2020, it doesn't mean anything. But back then, it was a big compliment. Bro, Rodrigue Bobois was, like, untouchable at mm-hmm. one point. Like, it was him and Dirk Nowitzki that the Mavericks would not trade. Like, in any trade talks. Like, he was the next guy. Rodrigue Bobois. Yeah, I mean, he was... He had some game, I guess. But, like, yeah, it just wasn't... It just didn't really happen for him like that. Um, yeah, but shouts to the broadcast, man. Honestly, mm-hmm. without Clyde and Mike Breen, this would have been an unwatchable game, man. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even watching it back was a little tough. Obviously, the ending is great, but the whole course of the game was really tough. But listen, the the 2011-12 Raptors, like it. Uh, I'm not gonna lie to you. I, I don't think we're gonna do a lot more games in terms of the the classic reaction podcast <laughs> from this season. I think I've had enough. I'm already pretty disgusted. The guys that I missed out on in this game were Andrea, who I really really dislike, Jared Bayless, um, uh, <laughs> Gary Forbes, Ben Uzo. I might do the Ben Uzo game. That actually kind of is kind of fun, you know. You should I, do the Ben Uzo game. I think you should do the Vince Carter slam dunk contest. Yeah, that'd be good. That that see, that's a good suggestion because the Ben Uzo game is definitely uh, th- it's just the ramifications of that one, man. Because if the Raptors didn't, if they lost that game, they might have gone Damian Lillard in the draft, but instead they slipped to I think the ninth pick and took Terrence Ross. And, of course, the Terrence Ross pick gave us the What About the Rosen reaction video, so that's pretty great. And Terrence Ross eventually became Serge Ibaka, who became a champion, uh, and now has become, like, a great media personality for the Raptors. But at the same time, like, yeah, they could have got Dame Lillard if they just lost this game where Ben Uzo has a random dirty-ass triple-double with, like, 10% shooting, and Solomon Alibi has 19 rebounds. But No, wow. you have to do that one. I was thinking you should do Vince's All-Star game where he gives up his starting spot for Michael Jordan. I did not know This was when Jordan... Yeah, this was... Yeah, oh man, I keep forgetting that you don't know anything before 2015. Um, Yeah, like there was... Vince was the leading Mm vote-getter and this was Jordan's last season with the Wizards. This was the one... You've seen the photos of Mariah Carey in the Wizards dress. Oh, Serenading Michael. Yeah, and she was... Wasn't she singing the national anthem? Yeah. But she gave like the Fergie version? (laughs) yeah so vince this was like after the vince sixer series and he was kind of his public image was not that great because he was injured a lot and people were just like saying that he wasn't meeting expectations but because of his famous dunk contest he still was the leading vote getter that year Mm. even though like i think he played in maybe like 15 games because he was hurt and there was all this public pressure before the all-star game for vince to give up give up his spot for michael Mm -hmm. who was a reserve and vince wouldn't do it and then at the very last minute when the starting intros are being made he tells michael that he's going to give up his spot it was his whole awkward thing maybe you can do a whole thing around that and and actually watch the all-star game right yeah i mean th- that's that's stuff that you can actually get video of like i'm thinking about the solomon alibi like ben uzo game like finding video on the 2012 raptors is pretty much impossible <laughs> yeah you might just have to read the play-by-play <laughs> yeah i might i mean there might not even be that um oh man yeah there's M- just not MJ, a lot of raptors good. Mem- there's not there's not a lot of raptors memories man <laughs> MJ there, there isn't pretty- there, there, there aren't that many. Let's be real. There aren't that many. But 
Uh, I love this team, and you know we got we got to do it. So that does it for the podcast. Uh, Alex, thanks for coming on. Um, as you mentioned, we are going to be doing the follow up version of this, um, where we recap Lin Sanity versus uh, the Lakers on your podcast, Stephen LeBron Radio. Why don't you tell people what Stephen LeBron Radio is and some of the strange episodes that you've uh, worked on or have coming out this week? Yeah, Stephen LeBron Radio is just a daily podcast that I've started while sports is suspended. So feel free to check it out on iTunes and Spotify. Will is a guest uh, weekly, at least. He he has done a lot of charity work that I really appreciate. Um, you know, I've just been interviewing people and diving into concepts and things that I've always wanted to do. Like I watched Friends for the very first time with our Yahoo colleague, Ashley Hufford, and did an episode about it. Will and I recorded an episode. episode. Will and I, Will and I recorded an episode that will release later this week about favorite Chinese bakery items because mm-hmm. uh, you know we've gotten a lot of requests for Asian content. So yeah, I'm just looking to like just interview people, chat with my friends, and honestly, it's a cool thing for me to do just to give me a routine. It's just recording podcasts and then playing poker on Saturday, you know. Yeah, that that seems to be your whole life, um, and I seem to be involved in actually every aspect of it. So you know, I, I feel feel very connected to you in this moment, and that's a good reminder to, to for people to stay socially connected but physically distant. <laughs> wow. Okay. Okay. Teresa Tam over here. Let's go. And also, and also, if you're into the Last Dance and you're just finding out about Michael Jordan, mm-hmm. like Will, mm-hmm. I'm also doing a ten-part podcast right now with Russ Bankson called After the Last Dance, where we're recapping and talking about some behind-the-scenes stuff from each episode. So all those episodes drop on Sunday, and it was featured on Spotify's podcast page last week. So that was super cool, and and the feedback has been cool. So if if you want to learn more about uh, the Last Dance and Michael Jordan's career. Check that out too. Oh, I can't wait, man! I, can, I can't wait. Um, and of course, watch Run It Back. You know, which uh, we're, we're still we're still doing on YouTube. Still doing um, big bigish numbers. You know. No, I appreciate everyone who watches Run It Back. Shout out Will Chan. We're gonna shout out Will oh, Chan yeah, yeah. podcast now. Shout out Will Chan and yeah, this week's episode for those of, that have been following. Um, I've got the uh, box scores and game recaps for Game Five and Game Six of Raptors Bucks Eastern Conference Finals, mm. and then I've got a little surprise for you for Game Seven next week. Oh, okay, all right. So we know it's going to Game Seven, so that's good because the series currently is tied two-two in your hypothetical, um, you know, uh, detailing. But all right, yeah, cool. I'm really running out of yeah, I'm really run, running out of things. Like I incorporated like Dante DiVincenzo into game six okay. so why is cash yeah. calling in <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyways uh yeah it's cool to be making 98 percent of my content with you yeah i appreciate it man um all right that does it for the podcast thanks everyone for listening to the classic raptors reaction podcast um if you have any other games please suggest them to me on twitter uh direct message me ideally probably that's probably the best way i'll see it um, but uh, yeah I appreciate everyone for listening and of course later this week I'll have another episode of the Raptors Over Everything podcast my idea for this week is kind of going back and revisiting where every single player on the roster would go in a redraft uh, because the Raptors have done an exceptional job of drafting their players and developing them into a championship team so uh, look out for that later this week but uh, for now thank you Alex and uh, we'll be back later this week There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.